How many of us are ticked off because the toaster doesn't work? When our next door neighbor is on his way to hell. See, our priorities can often show. So God asks an important question. You say, well, did Jonah pass the three courses with flying colors? You say, how you do know it doesn't record the end? Because he wrote the book. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We have been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Jonah. And today, Dr. Brogy concludes his series on the book of Jonah. Let's join Pastor Carl as he looks at the conclusion of this great book. Now, we don't know if Jonah was a rich man or a poor man. But we do know, at least at this little snapshot in his life, he's a covetous man, that the plant was more important to him than the people were. And so I want you to think about this fall. It is described in six phases. Don't miss it. First, they fall into temptation. They do for themselves what they should be praying that God will never do. Lead us, Lord, not into temptation. They create their own temptations. They lead themselves into temptation. They expose themselves into temptation. Why? Because when you have a covetous heart, your heart isn't directed towards the living God. And you're easily brought down. Second, they fall into a snare. It's a word that refers to a trap. Like an animal caught in a trap and you can't escape And so it just has a grip on you and the materialism and the debt and all. It just kind of strangles your life. Third, notice they fall into many foolish and harmful desires. Epithema or lust. The word lust can be used positively like the spirit lust. He desires to, to fill us. Or it can be used negatively. And not just in the sexual realm, but all kinds of realms. Here in the material realm. And so those who fall, fall first into temptation, second into a snare, third into foolish and harmful desires, fourth, notice, into ruin and destruction. You should maybe number these over the top of your text. That might be helpful because this is a passage of Scripture you ought to be able to teach to the new Christian to help them to develop an eternal perspective. Some of you aren't even taking notes. Shame on you. I spent 30 hours preparing this passage to feed you. And you need to jot some of these things down. Now, listen, the irony here is that these covenant people have set their hearts on gain, but the very gain they're seeking after only creates loss. It might be a loss of respect. It might be a loss of integrity. In death, it might be a loss of everything they possess and an eternity hell. And for the believer at the judgment seat of the just, the behemoth seat of Christ, a loss of eternal reward. Yet he's not done. There's a fifth result, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. This, I suppose, verse 10, is one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. How many times have you heard people say, money is the root of all evil? Of course, the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Now notice some translations will add the word the. Uh, The love of money is the root. 
but it's actually not articular. There's no article there. Sometimes the translation does that to smooth it out in its reading, but it's properly reflected in the New King James and in the New American Standard. It is a root. It's a major root, but it's not the only root of evil. And it's not just money. Money in and of itself is amoral. It's just paper and money. But the love of it, I mean, men have lied for it, they worry about it, they cheat for it, they've killed for it, they've destroyed their families over it, they've sold their souls for the love of money. In fact, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said it will keep many people out of the kingdom. He says on one soil, one reason for rejection, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Bill Gates said just a few years ago that going to church was the single biggest waste of time in his life because he could do something more productive. Hey, that's like a lot of Americans. 80% of America today is not in church. 50 years ago, it was just the opposite. See, we have no room for God anymore in this world that we live in. But what I'm wanting you to see is the fifth result of those who love money, they fall into error. Paul reminds us that they have wandered away from the faith. Now, there's a difference between denying the faith and wandering from the faith. There's an important distinction. A true Christian will never, ever, ever deny the faith. The Bible teaches the doctrine of perseverance. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. But the fact that they went out from us shows that they were not really of us to begin with. But many a Christian have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many a pang. Pangs of worry, pangs of remorse, pangs of a broken marriage, pangs of rebellious children, all kinds of things can happen. Those who have wandered away, and so what happens? Their priorities change. They're no longer concerned in winning people to Jesus. They're more concerned about how big their bank account will be. They're no longer concerned about their next door neighbor. They want to know who's going to win the basketball game tonight. Nothing wrong with basketball. I'm just talking about priorities here. The love of money. So back here to the book of Jonah. Turn back Jonah chapter 4. God is asking a stirring question. He's stripping his prophet naked before him. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Do you have good reason? Let me ask you as you're turning back. Are you restless because you don't have the things that you think you should have? Are you no longer enjoying the plant that you once enjoyed? You better watch out because you'll meet God in his loving discipline if you're one of his. And so God does not want us to be so consumed with the plant that we lose our compassion for the lost. And I know Christians who are more concerned about the the scratch on their new car in the driveway than they are about their lost next door neighbor who's headed to hell. Verse 10, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. In other words, God is saying, if that is true, Jonah, and it is, then why are you feeling sorry about my plant? You had no investment in that plant, and yet you're so concerned about that plant. Remember, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. 
It's all my Jonah, it's my world, it's my plant, the great fish is mine, the wind is mine, the worm is mine, the sun is mine, the Ninevites is mine. It's all mine and I can dictate to do with mine as I so choose. But when we own what we're stewards of, our perspective gets a little bit distorted. So God wants him to realize You have no reason to be angry. I am a sovereign God, and I hope you realize that your anger doesn't change God's sovereignty one bit. And God's gonna fulfill the great commission one way or the other, whether we're a part of it or not. He'll do it with or without you. But when we resist the sovereignty of God, the only one who gets hurt is not God, it's just us. Remember, God still accomplished his purpose because Pharaoh Even though he resisted the will of God, God still let the people of Israel go. God's going to do it. And if you resist like Jonah resisted, the only one you will hurt is yourself. Now, you may resist for 10 years. And you'll waste 10 years of your life. And while God wanted to use you, he'll use someone else. And maybe there are some critical Years as your children are in your home and you should be building into their lives and grooming them for the next world and yet your priorities are so weak and your discernment is lost because discernment comes through obedience to the revealed will of God and, and evil's walking in the front door and capturing the hearts of your kids and you don't even see it. Listen, the sailors had it right concerning the sovereignty of God in chapter 1. In 114, they said, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. That's what we need to pray. Not my will, but your will be done. May your will, Lord, be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God reminds Jonah that he is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the destroyer. And all things happen directly or indirectly under his sovereign, omnipotent control. Now, don't miss the final verse. Look at it. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Now, the first question we examined today was, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And that had to do with his warped perspective. But this question has to do with Jonah's heartless perspective because Jonah's heart is in the wrong place. He has no compassion for the people of Nineveh the way God has compassion and the way he should. He cares more about the plan. He cares more about something that's temporal than something that's eternal. That's why God allows the plant to grow up and die in a short 24-hour span because he wants to underscore and emphasize the temporal nature of things. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Should I not be moved with pity and mercy? Shouldn't I work on their behalf, Jonah? Now remember, in the first chapter, we learned that he was sent to preach. He doesn't want to go because he's a patriot of sorts. He loves Israel, and he sees the potential problem with wicked Ninevites being converted, God staying his wrath, and then becoming the instrument of God's discipline against the people. But this man needs to have compassion. Where would Jonah be if God had not sent that great fish? He'd be dead at the bottom of the sea. The grace of God that brings salvation 
teaches salvation to all men. The grace of God brings salvation to all men. Christ didn't die for some, he died for all. The extent of the atonement is for all men, but the intent is for those who will believe. It instructs us who have embraced it to do what? To deny ungodliness. As we've already discovered in this book, some of us have enough of the grace of God to be in the kingdom, but we haven't grown in the grace and knowledge of Jesus as we're commanded. This man needs compassion just as God showed him compassion. The truth is, is that everything on this planet is in the process of perishing. Someday, everything on this planet will be burned into oblivion. He will literally take the planet and burn it into nothing. And he'll create a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem where your loved ones are who are home with Jesus. That will just come down and we'll sit on a brand new planet and it will be the capital city. So he's asking, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who didn't know the difference between their right and left hands? Now, if you were here, Sermon 1, we said there were 600,000 plus people in Nineveh. Nineveh complex, and we looked at the archaeological evidence, those two great walls, the inner, the outer wall, it's a big place. But you can just work backwards. Conservatively, 600,000 people, how do you know? Because there's 120,000 people who don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. Little kids. Forget for a moment the wicked adult population, Jonah. What about the 120,000 children, small and innocent children, that don't even know the difference between left and right? And then as if to add a postscript, as well as many animals. Jonah, I got 120,000 city children living in that city. They don't know the difference between right and left. And you want me just to burn the place into the ground? You want me to kill them? And forget about the plant for just a moment, Jonah. Animals are more important than plants. With those animals, I give you food and clothing and, and you know, I provide for you and... The scripture says the wicked are cruel to animals. You find someone who's cruel to animals, you have a wicked person, not someone who's regenerated the spirit. God is showing Jonah that his attitude is just warped. Just bring it on down, fire and brimstone, wipe them out, God. What's your plant like this morning? As long as my home is good, everything's fine. As long as I got a nice car, everything's fine. As long as I have money to pay for the kids' school, everything's fine. As long as I wear nice clothes, everything's fine. As long as I have all the creature comforts that I want, then everything's copacetic. And when we start prioritizing that way, we lose perspective over things that are really important. We get mad when God says, I need some of your time for the Easter blitz. I don't know, Lord. I usually cut my lawn on Saturday mornings. I, I want you to give a, a tithe to the local church for the work here and through our 300 plus missionaries around the world. Oh, that's a lot of money. I want you to use your skills, your spiritual gifts and natural talents and actually find a place to dig in and not just to sit, soak, and sour. Oh, I don't know, Lord. I, you know, I don't want to make any commitments. 
Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But by our actions, we basically say, Lord, I want all these things, and if I ever get around to it, maybe I'll get involved in your kingdom. You see, that plant, Jonah, I created it. That plant that you enjoyed, I provided it. And those little children, I care about those children just like I care about the wicked Ninevites. Now look, it's understandable that a lost person would be consumed with things. I mean, that's all he's got. That's his whole life. That's how he finds joy and meaning. But a regenerate person who knows that the only thing that lasts for all of eternity is God, his word, people, and angels, and everything else is gone? Our perspective is to be different. Now listen, before we rag on this man too much, we need to examine our own hearts. And when God wants to do something that inconveniences our plans and our programs, we need to take a hard look and ask why. How many of us are even burdened about the success of the Easter Blitz? First time back. Last year we just wrote notes. We didn't want to be intrusive. Get people, oh, what are they doing in my house spreading their COVID germs? All these kids, upward sports, they, so many of them don't even go to church. I'm meeting Marines, 18, 19, 20 years old. Never been to church in my life. Do we even care? How many of us are ticked off because the toaster doesn't work? When our next door neighbor is on his way to hell. See, our priorities can often show. So God asked an important question. You say, well, did Jonah pass the three courses with flying colors? You say, how you do know it doesn't record the end? Because he wrote the book. God only uses the person who's in fellowship with him to move that person along by the Spirit of God that they would write Holy Scripture, not to mention Christ gives them an honorable mention. And so this man had been so changed, so non-threatened, so secure in his relationship with the Lord that what he wrote down, not just for the Jews of his day to read it, because obviously they had major problems with the Assyrians, but for believers in our day, he recorded it for us to read all his dirty laundry because he came through with flying colors. 10 messages. How are we going to apply it? Let me give three final applications beyond what God may show you. Number one, I learned that God loves the people of Nineveh. God loves the people of Nineveh. Where is your Nineveh today? Maybe you're listening in Florida or Massachusetts or Illinois or California, and most weeks we have 30 states and different foreign countries, and we don't know where they are on Facebook. Wherever you are. Where's your Nineveh? Your Nineveh might be your next door neighbor whose dog runs wild, or the guy across the street who's always trashing his yard and making your property look embarrassing. 
Your Nineveh might be the apartment next door where they blare the music so loud you can feel the vibration through the walls. Maybe your Nineveh is your boss who just seems uncaring and he views you like a tool to make money. Maybe your Nineveh is your ex-wife who left you for another fellow and you could care less about her soul. Maybe your Nineveh, as in many cities across America, is the Sikh or the Hindu or the Muslim neighbor, or maybe the homosexual who lives across the street or some transgender person. The message is clear. God still loves the Ninevites. And sometimes we think, oh, look at all this evil. Yes, it's real, and yes, it's growing, and yes, it's deepening, and yes, God said this would happen at the end of the age. But we are still called to evangelize because God still loves the Ninevites. Second, by application, God will do everything in his power to get you to share with Nineveh. God will do everything in his power to get you to share with Nineveh. God allowed him to spend three days and three nights in the great fish, What would he need to do to get us to obey? We live in a day of apathy and lukewarm churches. We're just interested in coming to church to make us feel good. We we want a holiday cruise to Tarshish. We don't want to be on a battleship where we're engaged in spiritual warfare trying to bring people into the kingdom. Listen, not to share Jesus Christ is disobedience. You can't share with everyone but you can share with someone. And we need to ask God, who do you want me to share with? How can we who have been shown the mercy and grace of God be less merciful to other people? We're called to carry the gospel to them and God is extending an invitation to Ninevites through his people today. The question is, are we willing to carry the message? So the book ends with a question that while we can't answer it for Jonah, we can certainly answer it for ourselves. And I hope God will give us the right answer. Look, the wind obeyed, the fish obeyed, the storm obeyed, the worm obeyed, the the sailors obeyed, the Ninevites obeyed. The question is, will I obey? I don't want to be like the prodigal son. I certainly don't want to be like the prodigal son's older brother. I want to obey. I want God to use me to see people the way he sees them. Let me give you a little test to see if you're more interested in plants or in bringing lost people to Christ. What do you really trust in, the word of God or your bank account? What do you admire more? The famous athlete? The lifestyles of the rich and famous? Or the pastor or the missionary or the faithful Christian who just tries to carry the gospel wherever they can take it? Here's a pitiful prophet who at this moment in his life was more concerned about a temple plant than about lost souls. And as I've been preaching this morning, some of you, you're thinking out there about what you're going to do this afternoon and how your bracket's doing and what you're going to do next week. When God wants to speak to you about your plant, so that you can get people in right priority. Finally, there are Ninevites who are ready to respond to your invitation. You know, 
Sometimes we look at lost people who seemingly are so deep in sin, we think that they'll never respond. Paul gave that long list. Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. But the next verse says, and such were some of you. You see that transgender person, he could be saved. I mean, they're indoctrinating these little children in our own government school system here in Beaufort County. Some of these kids, because they have no moral compass from the local church because they don't go, and they're being called to question basic moral truth. And we think, oh, they could never get, become a Christian. Look, that's what we would have said about Saul of Tarsus. So Jonah sent to Sin City, the capital of Assyria, and to his surprise and shock, they are ready to turn to the living God. And God sees people who are primed and ready. We just need to be available and to pray for those open doors. You know, the book of Jonah is really the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The message of Jonah is that God is not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. And Jesus plainly said, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Now, Holy Father, we thank you that you gave us 10 weeks together in this book to study it. Thank you for the power of scripture, how it renews our mind, how it changes us from the inside. But help us to be more than those just who hear the word, but help us to be those who are willing to obey it and to apply it. I pray today for some Ninevites you've brought within the hearing of this message. Some dear person, maybe a teenager, maybe an older person who are uncertain where they will spend eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't die for some of our sin or most of it, but all of it. And you proved your ability to die when you were raised from the dead. That whoever will call on your name will be saved. Help someone today, Father, to admit their sin is evil and wrong and in need of forgiveness and change. And help them to call upon Jesus to put their faith where you put their sin. Help someone in simple childlike faith, knowing that you cannot lie, to simply say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, I know there are hundreds in these services today, Father, that have already crossed that line. But we pray that you'd search our hearts, O oh Lord, to see if there be any wicked way in them, that you might lead us in the everlasting into eternal things that really will outlive us. Help us to see our jobs is not unspiritual, but as spiritual work as a means to an end to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And we pray even in this fresh week that you would give open doors of opportunity for us to share Jesus Christ. And we ask it, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Jonah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not only write of his times of obedience, but also of his disobedience. God can choose to use us despite ourselves because of his great love and mercy, if we are his own. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, or perhaps even the whole series of Jonah, go online to searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Jonah 010. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on the Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. When we return Monday, we will listen as Dr. Brogy begins a new series on the book of James. Join us then as we search the scriptures.